painful sex, peeing when you sneeze, heavy menstrual bleeding, hemorrhoids, these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to crap women deal with after childbirth, surgery, or just living life as a woman. Yet no one talks about it. How can we live our best life as a woman, mom, partner, and athlete without having to settle for average sex or dirty pants? This is the question, and this podcast will dive into real answers. If you get offended easily, this is not the podcast for you. We get real, and sometimes real isn't pretty or proper. If you have young ones nearby, we suggest you put in headphones. We are Joss and Jenny, and welcome to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram, at the Vagina Doc and at Pelvic Boxer. DM us and we will personally answer your questions. For this episode and all future episodes, please keep in mind our disclaimer. The information on this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be substituted or used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Yeah, great weather. The one thing that, one little glitch was I forgot my spout to my uh, hydro pack. So Marla and I had to share um, a spout and she got sick and then I got sick. But oh, man. Um, things are turning and the water was warm. So it was, it was so much uh more pleasant going through the water and being close to the waterfalls this year than the last time I was there. So it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, not to go back to your camping trip, but you did an interview with your friend Marla, right? Well, I did not want to do it without you. So I didn't record anything that we talked about. Oh, so. that's so nice. That's true. Uh, podcast love right there. Yeah. So I figured we would just we would bring her on here. And of course, there's Louie. He likes to be on all of our episodes. Hi, Louie. He's going to get me kicked out of this complex. <laughs> he can come live with me in Oklahoma. Please take him because I don't, <laughs> I, I, I need a break. But without further ado, we have another amazing guest on our show today. We're going to let her introduce herself. Um, but funny story, I actually followed our guests on Instagram and didn't realize who she was. And she was actually in my class this summer and we exchanged papers as assigned by our teacher for peer review. Kind of thought that her name looked familiar, but I still didn't put it together. Then in our class this semester, we came in person and I finally put two and two together. And then I fangirled out a little bit through their advanced clinical women's certificate any of those words in different order. I don't know what it's actually called, but that's what I'm doing. Um, I love working with athletes. I've gotten kind of in this niche of prenatal postpartum. Um, I currently live in Germany with my husband who's in the military and have a history of working with, um, doing research with uh, the military and just wrapped up data collection um, on a project looking at muscle impairments of active duty women with pelvic pain. We're on. Where did we leave off? So, research with the military. Um, just wrapped up that data collection. 
and then just actually got a new grant, just got the news that we got accepted, which is amazing. Um, great news. Yeah, to look at the actual pelvic floor muscle function or dysfunction of people with and without pelvic pain. Um, so lots of like mechanistic studies happening, very exciting. And that's kind of my entire life, just right then. <laughs> so not your entire life. So we were in class last time in September and Laurel looked like she was dying or that she was mm. choking. Um, didn't really know what was going on, but clearly there were some health things going on there. So Laurel, if, if it's too personal, you don't have to answer. But what was happening to you back in September and what is this kind of a, a, a bigger piece of? Yeah. First of all, great question, Jenny. What was happening to me? Still trying to figure that out. Um, I've had a history the last like three to five years of um, these episodes and they first included just um, a lot of abdominal pain. There's a lot of different symptoms happening and then it escalated when I actually moved locations from San Diego to San Antonio that I started having like anaphylactic type responses. Um, so still trying to figure that out, but it's been an overactive histamine response, mast cell activation disorder, all of these kind of like autoimmune, my allergy response to things is hypersensitive and escalated. Um, it tends to be worse if I'm under stress, like not sleeping a lot. Um, I try to keep different food inflammation down, different food. I don't have any food allergies, but try to keep um, like alcohol, gluten, those things um, at a lower intake seems to help. And so never really know when something's gonna pop up, um, but when it does happen, the major symptoms are like immediate fatigue, drop in blood pressure, I get swelling on the right side, um, so it feels tight on my throat, but it, it also makes you feel like you're gonna pass out. Um, and so I carry emergency medicine with me, um, and so this part of my life where I'm now living in Germany and then traveling back for school before I was traveling back for research is a little mentally stressful because I have a lot of fear associated with like, when is this going to happen? Nobody knows. And I think all three of us are very used to being like independent, do whatever we want to do, take off at a moment's notice. Um, and so it's been a struggle of like identity if I'm not that person that can just like get on a plane and go to the United States and not worry about it. Um, I feel like it's kind of, it's made me more empathetic to our patients who have a lot of fear avoidance belief issues. So in PT, just for people who are in PT, we look at people who are generally fearful of movement because of an injury or pain. Um, as a sign of this like hyperactive nervous system and fear is related to more pain. And now I feel like one of those people that like, I, I get it. I think that my hypervigilance of like, when is this going to happen and what's going to happen almost makes it more severe when it does happen because I'm so like riled up about it. Um, so yeah, it's been a really interesting journey as a PT to be in the patient seat and also questioning like we were talking a little bit about this before we got on but questioning if i can hold a full-time clinical job again um 
because there were days in my last job that like something would trigger me and while you're in a private patient room doing a pelvic floor exam, <laughs> you can't just like step away and go take emergency meds and when you feel like you're going to pass out um, or like your throat is closing. So there's a lot of questioning of identity happening with health, which I think we don't, unless you're going through it, you don't like get it really. Totally. How has that affected your experience with healthcare? And more specifically, as a female consumer of healthcare, where there is a fear and very rightfully so component to your symptoms, how do you feel like you've been perceived and treated by other healthcare providers? I think it's run the whole gamut. Um, I've had a specific difficulty because we move so much with my husband being in the military that we don't have consistent providers. And so I feel like each time we move, I have to start my story over and kind of defend my story. And all I have so far are like negative test results, right? So I just have a list of things that it isn't that we keep checking off the list. Um, so in San Antonio, for instance, I went to a ton of providers um, to look at different specialties because it was very siloed, but they were all very respectful, but it's kind of like when, when that specialty physician rules out that your issue doesn't have to do with their specialty, then you're dismissed from them. Right. And so it's not necessarily like a personal, I don't, I, I never felt personally dismissed by the physicians in San Diego or San Antonio. It was very much in the infancy of trying to figure out what was happening. And our healthcare just doesn't do a great job of looking at the whole person. And so it's a, I have a systemic issue. It affects multiple systems. And unfortunately our healthcare system is not set up for that. Um, then moving into military healthcare has been super interesting. We're in a rural area and we have to have our primary care provider has to refer us out to any specialist out to the German economy. Um, and so it's been very challenging to defend different in, uh, symptoms to my primary care provider when they, they just then refer for one test or refer for one visit. Um, instead of referring, now you're under this person's care and like their critical thinking and analysis. It's not like that. It's like you get referred for one test. Um, so that's been super difficult. And there I have run into more dismissal because everything is very protocol driven. So if you don't fit within a protocol, then you really have to fight for yourself to get um, more testing or um, a different referral and I've been, I've had to be very vocal in like a very medically professional manner, which a patient shouldn't have to be. I shouldn't have to like speak the language and walk the walk with the doctor and say, no, this hasn't been ruled or ruled in or ruled out with testing. What's your current hypothesis? Like these symptoms match this diagnosis and that hasn't been tested when most of our patients don't have that language to go in with. Um, and I've gone in with the most evidence-based test that should be ran for this specific hypothesis that he had because what the tests that he ordered are outdated by 20 years. And so people aren't doing that for themselves and they shouldn't have to. I'm not saying like that's what people should have to do, but 
it's been very eye-opening to see that evidence-based practice is not the norm and that you have basically you have to go in yourself with the evidence to ask for what's happening or you are very lucky to be able to choose your physician um and i never took that for granted before <laughs> how is the language barrier when you're is there yeah. like barrier because even if you know if they it's it's not easy to explain something medically as it is from a lay person's perspective in, right. in when you when you talk the language. So whenever it's in a different language. Yeah, I've been super impressed with um, most medical professionals in Germany speak very good English. Um, it must be a part of their requirements as a medical professional. Mm -hmm. um, it has been, I've only had to go to the ER there once, but the ambulance ride was the most stressful part of it because the ambulance um, staff, I don't know, paramedics, <laughs> I couldn't think of that. <laughs> the ambulance people um, didn't speak great English. And so in that like super high stress environment, when you're trying to get across your wants and needs and, um, and then they can't communicate to you either what they're doing, I think that's like raises that anxiety and that fear. Um, and then that compounds your reaction, right? right? Like, just like it makes pain worse for other people. And so luckily my husband, he was going to drive behind the ambulance. So we had a car and I was like, you have got to come in here with me because if I can't physically speak, like I need someone advocating for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so also just the importance of having someone on your team, I can't say enough. Like it makes, it validates what you're going through also that that person has physically seen you be ill or physically seen your reactions because a lot of what I've gotten, even when I was referred to a specialist that was supposed to like be my specialist, he was like, those aren't allergy symptoms. So you're not my patient. And my, and my husband was like, then who do we need to go to? Like the, this is what's happening. What's next. And at some point I feel like patients and myself, you just get sick of defending. So you run out of energy to defend yourself. Right. And, and I feel like I'm a pretty challenging person. Like I'm not afraid to challenge the status quo. And so for me to be like, I'm over it. Like, just give me whatever medication you want to give me. Then I feel like that has to happen all the time to our patients. You know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And for people that work full time, are maybe taking care of kids and are also dealing with like chronic health issues that they're supposed to be advocating for themselves. I think that we're just doing people a grave disservice. I don't have an answer, but <laughs> my next, my next question to you, what would, if you could change the system right now, what would you, what would you do? I think allowing people to choose like no matter what insurance they have to choose their physician, um, obviously I know how privileged I am to have health coverage. Like I've been in a situation, even as a working physical therapist where health insurance was really expensive and really crappy coverage. Um, and so I realize how lucky I am that the payment is covered, 
but I also feel like the quality is being um, dictated as well. Yeah. And let me just cut you off for a second. Yeah. When you say it's dictated and earlier you talked about protocols, are you talking about military healthcare or socialized medicine in Germany or a combination of the two? So I don't want to speak for military healthcare as a whole because I've only had, this is my first experience um, receiving care on base. So I have only one experience. Um, there are different plans even within military medicine. So different people at different base locations can have totally different experiences. It's not a one type of healthcare system. Um, it's all paid for, but it's not all ran the same. So like when we lived in Nashville, I chose my own physicians. Here, because I think it's because we're in a rural area, because it's a foreign country, we have to be seen on post before we are then referred out to the, um, we call it the, on the economy, to the German healthcare system. But then those are only people that have been approved by military. So you can't just, you can't just get a referral, let's say to a gynecologist and then pick your gynecologist. You are referred to the gynecologist that the base works with. Okay. So that's more of what I'm saying as far as dictated. Um, and then things protocol driven, I think it's just a, a numbers game. We were talking about it before with physical therapy is there just is not the number of medical professionals to people that utilize them um, in this space. And so for efficiency purposes, things are often very protocol driven. Um, and so I think it, cuts down on some of the critical thinking. It cuts down on the time with patients. So the things that I would change were, are, would be time. Like having one appointment for one hour with a physician would save so much money over time because then I wouldn't be coming back every three weeks with different symptoms um, for a different appointment. And so I think just investing more time in patients upfront to get a full idea of what's happening and really problem solving with that patient. I also think um, utilization of like care teams of different specialties that meet and have communication with one another. And then also medical records, like medical record sharing, making that more universal because moving around so much to different physicians, there's a lot lost in translation, oh, yeah. right? Like, um, we were talking a little bit before, like what has, how has this changed how I treat people? And I think that is the biggest thing is I have people show up with a timeline now of symptoms when it started, when things got worse, when did they move? When did they get married? When did they have kids? Was there a loss of a job? Like all these kind of life milestones a lot with it, because I think then you can really lay out for a person kind of when things started happening or you have an idea of when things got better or worse. And now for me, it's also like a gift to the patient because for me, I now have this timeline that I can continue to add to. And it's like a one page summary when I go to a new physician that captures things better than like a pile of test results that they're not gonna rifle through. Right. Um, and so as a pelvic health PT or anyone, I think the timeline is a good intake, intake form. 
That's you mentioned cool. that having an hour of time with a physician for a first visit would be one way that you would change the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that is a benefit in physical therapy as well? And if so, have you seen that in your own practice? 100%. Um, so currently I do online consultations and telehealth um, from Germany. Previously, I was only in a brick and mortar clinic um, and the last pelvic health clinic I was in ran more kind of on an orthopedic model as far as they had shorter evals. Um, they could follow up with a PTA or tech or a PT. And I felt like with that shorter eval and then immediately maybe passing them on to someone else, you were losing a lot of um, that intake of that either the continuation of the first visit where you move on kind of from your formal eval and you start treating them. Because to me, my first mentor told me the exercise is the test, the test is the exercise. And so while you start treating someone, you're still collecting so much good information from them. Um, and I think that having a longer first visit, you then are set up for a much more efficient treatment process. You know where you're going more specifically, you know what they can tolerate more specifically. Um, and now in telehealth, I often do an hour and a half first visit and then don't see that person for another week or two weeks. Also, it's a very different goal. Like I'm, op I'm often giving exercise programs, wellness programming, very different than like an acute issue where, where I would be doing a lot of manual therapy in the clinic. Um, so kind of two different goals, but I think that that first longer visit up front it makes for better outcomes and more efficient outcomes. Agreed. <laughs> this rushing of 30 minute evals is in certain clinics are absolutely ridiculous. I would never recommend any one of my friends to go see someone for a first visit that they have 30 minute evals. No, and I tell people now, because I talk to a lot of um, new moms that are following up that I want to get them into a pelvic health PT that's closer to them that are not appropriate for telehealth, and I give them a list of questions that they should ask the front desk, and I'm like, here's who you want to go to. Like, you want to go to someone, ask about the evals, ask what kind of support staff they have, obviously insurance questions, um, those sorts of things, but no. If you are not being seen for 45 minutes to an hour, that first visit, don't go to that place. I think something to add to that too is um, for one reason or another, we very commonly see people show up late or right at their scheduled appointment time with nothing completed. And you really mentioned the value of having a timeline beforehand. And even if that timeline's not written out, having some information before going into a visit as a provider is incredibly helpful to help guide questions. So I know for me, if you show up on time, you're already late. Totally. And I can't give you an evaluation in 30 minutes. That's a waste of your time. And it's a waste mm -hmm. of my time because I can't help you in 30 minutes. So I really think this message of, you know, 45 minutes, I mean, an hour, an hour and a half is even mm -hmm. better. And I would love to know what you both think, especially for pelvic health. If it is someone that's appropriate for a pelvic floor exam on the first day, we have to think about changing and changing back. And there's a lot of other considerations that it just takes more time to be thoughtful and that thoughtfulness and kind of caring 
um, being methodical um, and really explaining options and truly exploring consent and getting consent throughout the whole process takes time. And in pelvic health, you cannot water that down. So I would add even onto that, that if people are, you know, watering these things down, then as a consumer of healthcare, as a consumer of physical therapy, I would be asking myself, you know, what could I potentially ask to make this better? Or what needs to be happening? Is there anything I can do to help facilitate that? And if the answer is no, then you probably need to go somewhere else. And that's okay. Um, a conversation that I have with people very frequently is that nothing you do is going to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help you. You're not here to stroke my ego. And sometimes I can't help you. But mm -hmm. what I will do based on what you said, Laurel, is what is your next step? Let me help guide you to the person that can help you. And if you still have questions, I'm here to provide you more resources. So I think that's like the best gift you could ever give a patient yeah. um, because people get stuck, people get stalled out, then use their benefits, right? Then don't have benefits to go seek out help from another provider that would be appropriate um, or even time. They're using their valuable time um, resource really going down the wrong road. And so I think as a provider, being able to recognize and communicate to someone when I may not be the best fit for you right now, or I don't have the skill set that you need, but I know someone that has that skill set. And telling patients also that you should be seeing an improvement, maybe not a vast, like objective improvement, but you should be seeing an improvement that we're going down the right path after a couple of visits. You should not yeah. be seeing someone for six to eight visits and still figuring things out. We're still yeah. doing the same exercises every time. That's not physical therapy. That's not quality um, care or critical thinking that's going into your specific problem. I always tell people, if you see, if you're in a clinic and you see people next to you doing the same exercises every time you're there, like everyone is doing the same exercises every time you're there, like run. <laughs> everyone does not have the same issue. Laurel, can you say that for the people in the back again? <laughs> Wait. You, the same person. <laughs> Oh. next to you or different people next to you each time, but doing the same exercises every time that you're in a clinic, this is not the place for you. They're doing, they're giving the same handout that has no critical thinking behind it. Run. It's not the place for you. <laughs> so since uh, Jessica was on last week and she just started a private practice and you both have your own practices or telehealth, I would really like to highlight or at least speak to the benefits of going out of network beyond insurance. Um, insurance, whether you're in America or you're not in America, you're in the military, you're not in the military, I think there are some inherent problems and some people don't have insurance, but just because you don't have insurance doesn't mean that you don't have options. And sometimes these non-insurance options are actually a better deal and you get better care, even though it seems like more money up front. So Laurel and then Jocelyn, if you could both speak to that, being um, private practice individuals accepting cash payment. Yeah, I think what we went back to earlier as far as efficiency of care. So um, I see people less than I did in an insurance outpatient practice, um, just because I can spend more time with them one-on-one. -on -one. I also have communication with them kind of outside of their normal appointment time that 
is built into the fee that I'm charging them, right? So I'm, um, it's less about also being dictated um, what kind of, I'm trying to make this so that people that aren't PTs could understand, but basically physical therapists have to charge codes. So it's kind of a fee for service. Different codes for what we perform on you cost different money and it's different per insurance. So um, a lot of time practice directors or owners try to get all these variants of different codes um, to meet quotas for their budget, which I understand like you have to keep a business going. But in a cash pay, paid business, um, I don't have to meet any variants of codes. I can treat you however I want to in an evidence-based fashion that's fit specifically for you. And then also you're talking about even if people have insurance, it may still be cheaper. Um, a lot of people, people are paying into an insurance policy that they don't know their physical therapy benefits from. So they may be paying into an insurance policy that has really crappy physical therapy benefits. And that may be the only thing that you use out of your medical insurance that year. Um, so let's say arbitrary number, I'm paying $300 a month in medical insurance. I have then a torn ACL and I need insurance or I need physical therapy. And then I only have 10 visits from this really expensive insurance I bought. Instead, if you look at your policy, decide that um, I am going to need physical therapy or what are the things that I need and they don't have a good program for you, then opt into a cheaper plan and pay cash to that provider. Um, another option is using an HSA or a health savings account, um, which I think is great. I can always make invoices for people and they can often submit it to um, the health savings account. So. I think there's also confusion sometimes, and I will say I do work in an insurance-based clinic, and I think I, we're not here to say that insurance-based clinics are bad, right? No, and like, but, thank God I have health insurance. I'm very thankful for insurance. But I think, I just think it's important that people understand what the benefit of is paying or going through a cash-based method. And so with insurance, let's say you pay $300 a month okay, well, you still have some kind of deductible, which means you have to pay out of pocket until that amount is met. Mm -hmm. And so usually when your monthly rates are lower, you're paying for a high deductible plan. So now if you come to see me for physical therapy, even if you have 10 visits, you're paying the full price yourself out of pocket till you hit, let's say the $6,000 deductible. Yeah versus if you were going to see somebody that was cash pay, let's say they were $150 a session, but you're only going to see them for four sessions. Okay, well, that's $600. Meanwhile, you're still over here in this insurance clinic trying to meet your $6,000 deductible, after which point most people have a co-insurance, which means that insurance will now pick up some percentage of the bill. It's usually 70 or 80%, but you're still paying 20 to 30%. And you might have a visit copay where every time you come in, you have to pay anywhere from 10 to $100. So while we say we have insurance, and so I'm already paying for that, versus you look at a cash PT clinic or you know um, cash chiropractor, it's $100, $150, $200 a session. Well, if you actually sit down and do the math, um, one of mine and Jocelyn's mentors um, posted something about this in one of our mentoring groups. It's actually cheaper mm -hmm. if you just do the math um, to pay out of pocket. So Jocelyn, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. 
I'm going to speak more to my quality of care since I've switched out. So the pressure, I, I, let me just say to begin with, I worked at a really good clinic in that I got an hour with my patients and I didn't, that was, yeah. So I got an hour with my patients. There are clinics in the Valley here. I live in Phoenix that the therapist only sees their patient for 30 minutes. And then even pelvic, pelvic floor rehab, they're going to attack mm -hmm. and they're, they get pushed. The patient gets pushed back. If they're like, no, just, I only want to be here for 30 minutes if they don't stay the whole time, which is un unbelievable to me. And then there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's the clinics that see the patient for 45 minutes. So I got an hour, but of course, as a therapist, you, the clinic has to make money. It's a business. So they, I, I mean, any other business, you have standards of what you need to meet. And so in the back of my head, I had those numbers in my head with the people coming in and that would impact how much time I would take to listen to the person's story. And we all, all three of us know that there is so much to pelvic health. Everything, everything relates to pelvic health, like bladder, the bladder system, the bowels, the sexual function, mental health. So going through that is, was always, you know, it was, there was a, there was a give and take in that. And then I would spend hours after work trying to justify care so that the person didn't get denied. Because in Arizona, Blue Cross Blue Shield denies anything other than stress urinary incontinence. So someone that was coming in for pelvic pain um, or for issues around prolapse, I would have to like justify that a hip pain diagnosis or a back pain diagnosis and it was just really dirty to me mm -hmm. and I didn't feel good about it and so there are times where I mean it wasn't necessarily it it's not a matter if a, a PT is good or not good in in insurance-based practice it's that you only can do so much with the resources in the time that you have and we, I mean, I had, a, I had a month waiting list. So every visit was like an eval if someone had to cancel because it was then I wasn't seeing people on a consistent basis. People that have insurance are, at least with my experience, are less accountable than those that are fronting $195 for a visit. Uh, and so they're going to do what they're doing. They're, they're not as guilty to cancel um to cancel with insurance versus if they're paying out of pocket so i it would go it would be like every three weeks that i was seeing people and i was only treating for about a half hour because like 25 minutes of it was um just education and, and teaching and then five minutes of changing and all of that so that's just not enough time and my care wasn't as good. So I would, ha I got really good at prioritizing what needed to be done, but bridging, it was like treating symptoms versus treating the cause. 100%. It's all about, it turns into putting out the fire. Exactly. Instead of finding the source of the fire. Right. 
and it turns into a return patient. Um, it's a great we, business model. I felt the pressure to like get people out of out the door too because we had people and I would be like yes their incontinence is down or their pain is down but we haven't gotten to the reason why we have not fixed the reason why they started having incontinence why they started having pelvic pain and I felt like that environment didn't lend itself to getting to those root issues and then people are then people are going to turn around and pay a personal trainer $120 a session because yeah. they've been discharged from PT. And so I think a lot of it too is physical therapists educating the community on what we do. And we're not just a post-surgical profession. We don't just pe see people after surgery. And right. if you have pain, you can first come to us. Chiropractic care has done a great job marketing that forever. Um, and people will pay out of pocket and we as a profession need to do a better job of advocating for preventative care or as soon as you feel something you can come to us and we can save you from having surgery we need to get out of this medical referral model right i don't know about you guys or, or and you are all jenny i i'm such an advocate for my movement exam and movement identify movement system or movement impairments but when it comes to documentation and it's if we if we identify causes like it's that, that that's where medically necessary becomes into question of what they're going to reimburse so when i'm actually providing the best care that i can mm -hmm. it doesn't kiss the insurance company's asses mm -hmm. it doesn't appease them so i just get pissed and then i'm not that pleasant to be around in the, in the clinic so Gosh, it's just like, it is set up the insurance, the insurance companies, the whole thing is just so screwed up because when you actually fix the problem, they don't cover it. Right. It's so, crazy I, I, to me. Way to kind of circle back around, you know, when we talk about um, persisting health impairments, and I think particularly in women, and women, I think we see perhaps more of this because women put themselves second. Um, we have caregiver burden, whether it's caring for children, caring for elderly parents, caring for other siblings, you have a problem. And then it's like, well, I must deal with these other things first. So when you finally do come forward with a symptom, you run into what, and not always, and you know, we don't ever talk in absolutes. I think Laurel and I can say in research, we don't talk in absolutes. You can't definitively prove something um, is, occurs for everyone in every situation. That's really not the point of research. But um, we have to then tell our stories over and over and try to advocate for ourselves. Um, as therapists, we're trying to advocate that what we're doing is correct and it's mm -hmm. kind of this vicious cycle. Um, so not to really end on a morbid note, but I, you know, what are the takeaways from this? And I think uh, Laurel and Jocelyn, I would really love to hear maybe one or two pearls from you that if you were talking um, to somebody, and Laurel, you already mentioned this a little bit, and they had a pelvic floor problem. So let's say urinary incontinence, so that's leaking urine, constipation, um, leaking gas, so that's actually called fetal incontinence, a prolapse, so where you feel pressure in the vagina, abdominal pain, pain with sex. 
if they felt any of those things and they didn't know anything about physical therapy, but they were going to their primary care provider, what is one or two things that you suggest that they discuss or how should they advocate for themselves to get to a pelvic health physical therapist? I think the biggest thing is A, knowing that pelvic health physical therapy is an option and that the medical, um, the medical professional that you're seeing for that impairment, what symptoms, whatever, you know, it was, their job is to rule out infection, mass, um, tissue injury that possibly could be there. But gynecologists, urologists, um, primary care providers don't know things about the pelvic floor muscles, the way that they interact with our nervous system, the way that they interact with our abdominals, our hips, our low back. That really is, we are the neuromuscular, musculoskeletal specialist of that region of the body. And so it's not that you should go to a pelvic health PT instead of a gynecologist or urologist. It's we all treat the same area of the body in different ways. And so if you, if something is ruled out, let's say from a gynecologist that your pain isn't a cyst or isn't a mass, then your next step is to a physical therapist. It's not just oh, we don't see anything, you must be crazy. <laughs> Always know that there is a next step and that we can help you find that next step. Asking for a referral, but also know that um, you probably don't need a referral unless it states it in your insurance. Legally in every state in the United States, you can walk right into a physical therapist's office and make an appointment without a physician referral. So. Excellent advice. Jocelyn, what advice do you have? Hmm. If you are in a physician's office and they push you away or just dis are dismissive of your inquiry of pelvic health rehab, find a new provider hmm. or, and I'm sorry to be blunt, but I've just had too many people of late tell me that their gynecologist or their primary care said that they didn't need it. I think everyone and in a well woman, a well woman's exam should be really part gynecology, but also part physical therapist that is doing a well woman's exam of the muscle tissue. So um, I would say it makes sure you feel comfortable with your provider to to have that conversation. If you don't, then you should probably find someone else. Now, if you're in Laurel situation, that's not as easy. Um, other than that, I would say, I think guys, I think it's us. I think we need to do a better job in educating the physicians. Mm -hmm. Stop putting it all on the patient side and, oh, no one knows about us. No one knows. It's our fault. And if physicians aren't listening to us, then we aren't doing a good enough job getting out into the community so that the patients that are going to them are saying, no, listen, I saw this person, they changed my life. So the, I, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry that I can't give you any other advice. I think um, on that, like at least what does someone say to a physician? because that's hard because physicians don't know what they're saying, you know? 
just say, can you send me to a pelvic floor physical therapist? And what if they don't know anyone? They're going to say, oh, you don't need that. Yeah. I always recommend people to go into their doctor's office with a name. Like, yeah. who do you want to go to? Don't ask, um, don't ask them to send you to someone just like you wouldn't go to someone else that doesn't cut hair and be like, who do, send me to whoever you want to cut my hair. Like, no, you have people that you believe in and trust. And also don't be afraid to switch a physical therapist either. Just like we switch hairdressers all the time. If they F up your hair once, like, why are we waiting for 12 weeks of crappy care before you switch providers? Good point. Yes. Treat your yeah, vagina yeah. as good as your haircut. That's my lesson. There's our quote from the, <laughs> from the episode. <laughs> Treat your vagina as well as you would your hair. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Laurel, we've taken a lot of your time. I think we definitely need to have you come back on um, periodically just to keep us updated on your adventure. I know you're coming back from Germany in June. Um, yes. Still moving through the PhD program, have lots of exciting things on the horizon. Hopefully you'll get some more answers on your health questions that you can share with us. Thanks. I know for one that um, it's just a very interesting condition. And as a friend and colleague and classmate, I just like to see you at your healthiest Thank you. so that we can collaborate on more things. Um, but I also want to end with all those things being said, um, we all work with amazing physicians, amazing healthcare teams. So we are not here to knock physicians or knock anybody else. It's just more general advice. Um, and it's to keep in mind, so if you notice these things with any kind of healthcare professional, they're just things to think about. Um, but I think we're going to wrap it up here for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, we'll be back next week for another episode of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Thanks, guys. That was fun.